Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Kind of jumping into the middle of a section right here, but Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is the word of the Lord. Who hasn't felt that way at some point? Now, there's a really important debate that goes on about these verses, about whether Paul is referencing his life before becoming a Christian or whether he's referencing his life after becoming a Christian. But there's something about those verses that really resonate where you think, I've felt that way. My spiritual life feels like a roller coaster at, at times. Now, I know a thing or two about roller coasters because we survived the state fair yesterday. Um, State Fair of Oklahoma, I have no idea how much money I have left in my pocket at all, but uh, we went to the State Fair. I've reached a point in life, which has really been my entire life, where I can't do rides that go in a circle uh, like that. I'm just disoriented, done for the, the entire day. I don't do rides that go in a circle. I'm pretty good at roller coasters for, for the most part, but nothing that goes in a circle. But watching my kids ride roller coasters and, and thinking about this, Sometimes that's what our spiritual life feels like. We're making great progress and then we get out of bed and it all falls apart. And we're like, oh man, I was doing so well for the first five minutes of the day and then I, then I fell apart. Or it feels like my life just goes in circles. I'm making progress and then I come right back around to that same thing that I always struggle with. I want to do good. I want to make progress. But then I take three steps back. And then I take a couple of steps forward and then I take steps back. What's going on? What, what's happening there? Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the topic, the theme of holiness. Now, obviously, this is a big theme that covers the whole Bible, from Genesis 1 all the way to the very last page. This idea of what does it mean to be holy, that we serve a holy God. We established that in Isaiah chapter 6, and that God's plan for his people is that we would be holy but what does that look like? How do you live that out? How, what does it look like in everyday life? Now, we haven't talked a lot about holiness, but I want to give you a definition. This is not the only definition of holiness. This maybe not even, isn't even the perfect definition of holiness. But the definition of holiness I use is that separated from sin, dedicated to God. Separated from sin, dedicated to God. Holiness certainly has an idea of separation. As you read throughout the Old Testament and the idea of the priests and the idea of the sacrifices, that something was set apart, that it was separated from that, was, that is impure. So when we talk about being holy, we're talking about being separated from sin. The problem there, and we're going to talk a lot more about this next week, but the problem there is when it comes to church, 
You all know as well as I do, we're probably better known for what we're against than for what we're for. And so sometimes we really focus on the separated from part, and we miss the second half of the definition, which is dedicated to God. And in fact, if you press me on it, I would say the second half of that is even more important than the first half when it comes to the biblical definition of holiness. When you follow the word throughout the pages of the Bible, that idea of being dedicated, fully set apart to God, is what it means to be holy. So we are separated from sin, and we are dedicated to God. How does that happen? How can that be true for any one person? How can that be true for a church, for a, for a group of people? The way it happens as you trace it across Scripture is it really happens in about three different parts. There are $100 theology words listed to the right in quotation marks if those words are a place for you to learn and grab onto, I want you to have those words up there. More so, I want to kind of walk you through this process because when we talk about holiness in the Bible, we are made holy in Christ. That that holiness does not come from anything that we gain of our own doing. It's not something, get your life together and then you'll be okay with God. We can't do that. We are made holy in Christ. And so sometimes in the Bible, we'll call that justified. But then we also become holy in Christ. Sometimes we'll call that sanctification. I'm going to show you where this breaks down in a second, but this is a good general pattern. And then finally, one day, this roller coaster battle with sin, this I'm just going in circles and getting sick to my stomach, this, this process will come to an end and I'm presented holy in Christ, this future glorification. So there's this saved in the past, saved in the present, saved in the future. All of this is a work of God. And you say, that's great, good slide. Where does that show up in the Bible? 1 Corinthians, which should be right next to your Bible. If you have it open to Romans or if you opened your phone, this is a quick scroll down in, in your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians, the beginning of the book, and then also in chapter 6, because here's what I want us to do today. Over the next couple of minutes, I want you to have a better understanding of how God's holiness works in your life. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you say, eh, thanks but no thanks, I'm not really interested in holiness— let me, let me have you go at it from this direction. If you're not a follower of Jesus, think at it from, from this perspective. Even you would probably say, I'm really not satisfied with where my life is right now. Some days I do really well. Some days I don't do really well. How does life progress? What, what would God do in your life? What, what is your life pointing toward? Where is it going? How does that process work? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to look at a couple of verses there, but starting in verse 11. Paul's going to talk about all the sin that these people have struggled with, and then he's going to say in verse 11, that is what some of you were. Past tense, no longer. That's what you were in the past. But you've been washed. You were sanctified. The word sanctified there, it's this idea of something that has already taken place. It's already happened in the person's life. You've been washed. You've been sanctified you were justified. Notice how Paul, now, we use big, huge theology words and make distinctions among them. This is justified. This is sanctified. Paul just sticks them right together. He says, you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The only way, whether you're a follower of Jesus, don't have any interest in this at all, maybe, you're, you're on both ends of the spectrum, God's purpose for you is that you would be made holy so that your relationship with him could be restored. The only way that happens is through the name of Jesus and the power of his spirit making us right. So we are washed, we are sanctified, set apart from sin, dedicated to God, and we are justified. We are made right in Christ. All of that happens by, by God's power. Now with that comes a little bit of a so what question. So so what? What's the, what's the implication? How does it impact my life? The, look at the way that 1 Corinthians begins. If you look at the very beginning of this book, there's something amazing that happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 1, you find that Paul, his spiritual brother Sosthenes, they're writing this letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, just getting started, he says, This letter is written to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, why does it matter that it's written to the church of God in Corinth? Well, you don't read very far in this book, and you realize, oh, you thought your life was a roller coaster, and these people have got some problems. Like, you, you name a sin that you struggle with, there's a really good chance you're going to find it in Corinth. These are people that... Uh, I'm still at the fair yesterday. We, we were, there's, a, there's a t-shirt uh, booth at the fair. It's called the Struggle Bus. Uh, the church at Corinth, they lived on the Struggle Bus when it came to making progress in life. Like, they would do a few things well, and then they had some terrible, terrible sins that they dealt with. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. This church in Corinth that had all these temptations, all these sins, all these struggles, Paul turns around and he calls them sanctified, made holy in Christ Jesus. Sanctified here is used in such a way, I won't bore you with Greek or English grammar either way, even though I'm really tempted to, but uh, it's presented in such a way that it's already happened. It is a reality that has ongoing significance. This term that they've been made holy it's real. It's happened in their life. So they are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and they are called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Kids, kids, I want you guys to know something important here, okay? The word saint, when you hear the word saint, a saint is not a special category of a Christian purpose, a person, okay? A saint is not some greater, higher, better Christian. In the Bible, the term saint means one who is made holy. And the way you are made holy is when you believe in Jesus and he makes you new. You become holy not because of what you achieve, not because of something you accomplish in this life, becoming a saint. You're a saint because of Jesus' work in your life. And so when you guys are growing up and you hear the word saint, you should think of one or two things. Number one, you should think that you are made holy in Jesus. And number two, you should think, who dat? Okay? For the New Orleans saints. So uh, you guys know my family, we lived in New Orleans for about 10 years. And uh, 
grew up sort of a nominal Dallas Cowboys fan, borderline. It didn't take a lot to push us toward the Saints when we got to, uh, got to New Orleans. Um, Amanda was already a Drew Brees fan because she watched him play football at Purdue and thought he was cute. So we were already on the New Orleans Saints train when we got there. Um, we just jumped on all the way, which was a good time to get on the New Orleans train because they won the Super Bowl not long afterward. But there, people talked about being saints. And New Orleans was, and still is, a heavily Catholic culture where a saint was considered to be someone who had done a miracle, and it was verified, and they were passed on. Um, and then you look at the Bible, and you realize, no, no, no. I'm called a saint. <laughs> you, as a follower of Jesus, are called a saint, which means we have to be very careful about how we talk about ourselves, right? A lot of times, thanks. <laughs> Somebody's listening. I appreciate that. We have to be careful how we talk about ourselves. Because you say, you know what, I'm a nobody. I'm a worm. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's true. But you're also a saint in Christ. Did you know, please, please hear me out on this. When the Bible refers to Christians, the primary overwhelming designation is saint, not sinner. Your identity in Christ is not who you were in the past. It's not sinner, it's saint. Think about the way this happens. So, so Paul is famous for referring to himself as the, the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy. Um, you guys bring up that next slide. That I think it has 1 Timothy on there, hopefully. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So Paul can refer to himself as a sinner, but it's in the past tense. This is who I was. Some of you were this, but now I've been made holy. Now I'm a saint. Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So you go home today at lunch, and you're struggling a little bit, and you just look around the table and say, I'm actually a saint. You wouldn't know it right now. You wouldn't know it right now. Now, now, don't let this feed your pride. Don't let this get you in trouble, okay? But you can look at your spouse, look at your parents, look at your kids, and say, I'm a saint. But not because of what I've accomplished, but because of what Jesus has done in my life. So you say, man, I'm a saint in Christ. I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm set. Not so fast. Let's make sure we get this whole picture. Let's make sure we understand all of this. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul will talk there about all the sins that the people are struggling with. And he begins to list them in verses 9 and 10. And he'll say in particular, do not be deceived that those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, not just sexually immoral, it lists a whole list of sins there in verses 9 and 10. And then he says, that is what some of you were, but now you have been sanctified. You've been made holy. So just kick back, relax, enjoy life, live however you want to. No, not at all. He says you were sexually immoral. You were sanctified, made holy in life. Now flee sexual immorality. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Watch how this happens. 
I have been made holy in Christ. Because of his holiness, he died for me. I have been saved. I've been made holy in Christ. Therefore, live holy. I have been made holy in Christ. Therefore, live holy. This is that idea that I've talked about so many times in the past, and I'll talk about even more in the future. When you read the New Testament, you have to have that that framework of now, not yet. Is Jesus Lord of all creation? Has he defeated sin and death? Yes. Now, that is absolutely the reality. Do we live in a world full of sin and death and darkness? Yes, we do. Not yet have we seen everything that Jesus is going to do to bring this to a final completion. On the back of your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin coming in, there's a chart there. Another chart as a shout out to my wife who loves charts when it comes to Bible study and Bible teaching. There's a chart there. Now, not yet. You guys bring that chart up on the screen if somebody doesn't have a bulletin in front of them. I want you to see how this works in terms of holiness because hopefully, here's my hope. If you live on a roller coaster when it comes to your spiritual growth, if you get so frustrated about why do I make a few steps forward and then take these steps back, if this is something you struggle with, if you go around in circles, I hope that this will, number one, let you know a little bit of why this happens, and number two, it'll give you a way to move forward, okay? Now, in English grammar, not just English grammar, any type of grammar, we call this the indicative. I am holy. You are holy. We are holy. It is a present reality. It's a statement of reality. Imperative is the word for command. Do this. So, you are holy. Is that true? If you're in Christ, yes. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you are a saint. You are holy. Now, be holy. (laughs) Indicative. This is true of you. You're a saint. What do you do with that? Live like a saint. Be holy. Sometimes what Uh, scholars will call this, they will call this positional sanctification. Extra points if you write that home, write that down and take it home. Positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. So my position in Christ is that I am made holy. And then progressively, as a process throughout my life, I grow into that holiness. Holy in Christ, become holy. Sin has been defeated in your life. What do you do as a result of that? You fight sin. I know that sin has been defeated in my life. I am, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What do you do? Fight sin all the more because you want to live the life that God's created you to live. You are a new creation, and yet we continue to battle against our old self. It's like you put on a jersey and say, I'm part of this team. So I'm going to wear this. I really wanted to wear my Saints jersey today, but I opted for a jacket, so I should have gone with the jersey. I wore a jersey once this year. I figured that was about all, all, the only time I got for that. So here's my jersey. I play for this team. I play for the Jesus team, to be just a little cheesy. Here's my jersey. I, I wear this because I identify with Jesus. Well, if you wear that jersey... Live like you wear that jersey. Live like you're on that team. So I am in Christ. This is the identity. When you're a part of a team, you represent that team. So I have this Jesus jersey on. Now I'm going to live like somebody who lived. Imagine seeing somebody 
you can't imagine. Just, just go with me here. You see somebody with a cross necklace, you know, around their neck. Or, or they have some sort of Jesus-related shirt on. And they're living in a way that doesn't particularly match that cross uh, around their neck. Now, once again, like I said, I know you can't fathom that being a possibility, but it, it does happen in, in Oklahoma. And what do you think to yourself? You think the actions I'm seeing don't match the identity that you're wearing, and then you turn all the ten fingers back around at yourself and say, man, how often is that true of me? Like, whether you realize it or not, you're wearing the Jesus jersey if you identify with Jesus Christ, so you have the jersey playing the game. Um, I love the way that Pete Scazzaro says this. Pete is a pastor and author in New York City. He says, we have Jesus in our life, or to use the language used with kids a lot of times, I have Jesus in my heart, but I still have grandpa in my bones. Um, I have Jesus in my life. He, he has made me new. I have the hope of being in glory with him for all of eternity, but man, my family of origin still impacts me every day that I wake up. I'm still living in this body. My, my life has been made new in Christ, but I'm still operating with all those things that I inherited from my parents and grandparents and the ones that came before that. And so in this process of being made holy, I realize in Christ, I'm made holy. Now I have to go through this process of figuring out how do I live for the Lord when maybe my parents didn't do that? Or maybe I inherited something from my grandparents that makes me very prone to live in a way that's unholy, but Jesus is beginning to change me from the inside out. Uh, there's, there's a great picture of this that you find in Scripture. Philippians chapter uh, 2. Uh, yeah, go to the next slide that we got up there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So then in Romans we find out we are those who have died to sin, so can, how can we live in it any longer? Okay, why do you struggle so much in your spiritual growth? Or that sounds very accusatory. Why do I struggle so much in my spiritual growth? Why do we not make this progress? Well, part of it is because we still live in a fallen, broken world, and we live in a body that is in the process of being made holy, but is certainly not already there. Has, now I'm holy, not yet have I seen all of that. Why do I struggle making progress, though? On your notes, I've given you two options why this might happen. Number one is that we don't fully understand the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's slow down just for a minute so I don't go past this too fast. If you are struggling in your walk with the Lord, you just feel like, man, I am not making much progress. I'm stuck in the mud. One of the things, one of the reasons this might be the case is that you've not fully grasped what God has done in your life through Jesus. That you have been made new. That your sins, that your past has been forgiven, that there is no condemnation that you are secure in Christ. Go back day after day, week after week as you gather with the church and preach the gospel to yourselves. Preach the gospel to yourself. Jim, Jim emphasizes this so much uh, when he teaches and preaches because it's so important. 
One of the reasons I don't make progress in faith is because I don't fully understand all that Christ has done in and for me. So the more I know the gospel and what he's done for me, the more I'm going to grow in that hope, the more and more I'm going to grow in the gospel. Here's the second reason we always don't make a lot of progress in the Christian faith. We're lazy. I wish there was a really gentle, kind way to put that, but I'll just channel the speak the truth in love. Sometimes we don't make much progress in the Christian life because we're lazy. And, and frankly, we're prone to love the things of the world more than we love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons we don't make a lot of progress is because we don't fully understand the gospel. One of the reasons we don't make a lot of progress is because sometimes we're frankly lazy. And what we are called to do in Christ is to keep fighting, to keep working. When you understand all that Jesus has done for you, it should not make you complacent. It should make you hungry to know him and to live for him. Here's, here's the danger sign you're looking for, okay? Let's make sure. I don't, I don't want this to cause unnecessary guilt or condemnation. If you think to yourself, man, I'm really struggling. I'm not growing in my faith the way I want to. I really want to grow. There is a healthy sign behind that. Because that says, I want to grow. I want to make progress. I'm not doing what I want to. Here's what you need to watch out for, and you need to have your family and friends watch out for this for you. If you ever get to the point you say, I don't care. I don't care if I grow in holiness. I don't care if I grow in my love for the Lord. I don't care if I grow in how much I know and understand and grasp the gospel. Students, you guys have it so hard because I know you're growing up in a world where it's cool to say I don't care. Reject that with everything you have. Like, care. It is good to care. To care to say, God, I love you. You love me. I want to grow into that, and I'm going to fight for that. I'm going to work toward that. If I ever reach a point in my life where I say, I don't care whether I grow in holiness, that's when you have to look inwardly and say, do I really understand what it means to be made holy? Okay, so let's get to the application part here at the end. How do we make this growth happen? Number one is to believe in the power of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. If you guys will skip ahead, I know I skipped a couple of slides for time, but skip ahead to Ephesians chapter two. There we go. Ephesians chapter two. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so you don't gain it, not by works so that no one can boast, but then go to the next slide for verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we understand something like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that summarizes the gospel, that lays it out there for us, when we understand that we're saved not by our own works, but by the work of Christ, that doesn't draw us back from doing work. That pushes us ahead in doing work. Philippians chapter 2, I love these verses, how it relates to what we're talking about this morning. Philippians chapter 2 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you see how that happens again? How do I grow in faith? Get to work, because it's God who works in you. <laughs> it's not my power and strength made happening, it's the power and strength of God. So I don't have to do anything? No, get to work, work out your salvation. 
It's this beautiful, powerful tension of God is at work to make us holy. Be holy. Grow in that. Fight for that. Push ahead in that. Number two in your notes there on the application section is this idea of be humble, be hungry, and hustle. Humble, hungry, hustle. It's the, I didn't make that up, wish I would have, but it's the name of a pretty well-known Christian leadership book that came out recently. Jesus is the only one who is able to make you holy. So that creates great humility. But when I know what God's done in my life, I am hungry to grow. And because I'm hungry to grow in my faith, I'm going to hustle. Because, friends, let's be honest. We work hard in a lot of areas of life. But one area we don't always work hard at is our spiritual growth. So we give incredible resources, we give incredible time, we give incredible commitment to all kinds of areas of life, and then we bypass the area of life that will end up influencing all those other areas of life. I'm, saying you don't, I'm not saying that you don't give time to those other areas. You, you do, but as you grow spiritually, the fruit of that, the result of that, is going to end up impacting all those other areas of life as well. So I'm humble, I'm hungry to grow, and I'm going to hustle to make it happen. This is that shift that begins to happen for a lot of men who are so driven in, in business and, and they achieve these great things, and then they reach a point of saying, man, it's great that I've achieved all this, but if I'm not careful, I'm going to gain the world and lose my soul. And so their hearts are crap, captured by Christ, and the hustle doesn't go away. Now it's just pointing in a new direction. It's, I'm going to be driven to know and live for the Lord and when that happens, you get to point number three, which is I need internal change and external choices. These next two parts, we're going to talk a lot more in weeks to come, so we're not going to spend a lot of time. But I need internal change. I've got to change my heart so I know that I, I want to fight lust. So that's a work that you have to do in my life. But externally, I should be careful what I watch because that's also going to help. Or I know I should fight greed. So God, create thankfulness in my heart because I need to fight greed. I also should have a budget because that too would help me to fight greed. So I have an internal change that God is doing, but then I make an external choice of, hey, if I do this, it's really going to help me as I grow. Number four, and we'll wrap up with this. How do we become holy? This seems counterintuitive, but the way we become holy is we continue to confess and repent. You don't grow in holiness by pretending you don't deal with sin. <laughs> you actually grow in holiness as you begin to recognize sin in your own life and confess it and say, Lord, I realize that that is not honoring to you. I realize I'm holy in Christ, and so I'm going to confess that. And Scripture says to confess that to those around us, and I'm going to seek repentance. So the more I confess and the more I repent, the more I grow in that holiness which we're going to have a chance to live that out this morning as we take of the Lord's Supper. That when we gather for the Lord's Supper, this is a meal for the saints. It's those who have said, I realize that I am made holy in Christ. I need to be reminded of what Christ has done for me, and I need his nourishment to feed me as I move forward. So, so I remember this is what God has done for me. This is my reality in life is my hope is found in Christ. But I also need to be nourished because I'm going to continue to grow in this. I'm going to continue to move forward.
If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, when the plates come around to you, there's no shame in passing it to the next person. This is, you, you don't eat these elements and then magically become right with God. You were made right with God. You were made holy when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. When you say, the only hope I have is that he died for me. He did for me what I could never do for myself. And I pray that as this happens this morning, as you see these verses on the screen, that that's exactly what God would do in your life and that you would come and tell us afterward, that you would put your faith in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, as the plates come around and you take those elements, you're reminded, I am right with God, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. And I need to be strengthened and nourished to continue to seek after him in the days to come. I confess, I repent, I trust. Jesus, I've never trusted you more than I do now. And Jesus, I've never wanted to follow you more than I do now. That's the commitment we're making as we take of these elements. So after I pray for us in just a moment, our, our deacons and those who serve the elements are gonna get in position to do that. When the plates come around, if you've not done this with us at Emmaus before, there's going to be two cups stacked together. Be sure you take both of those cups. Sometimes you have to twist them just a little bit to get them apart, but we'll take those elements. Just take both of those cups as they come around. Let me pray for us, and we're going to have this time of worship together. Father, when I think about my own life and spiritual growth, I know that sometimes feels like we take two steps forward and five steps back, or it feels like we're just being slung around in circles, not making any progress. But, Father, I pray that as we think about what the Bible says about holiness, what you said to us about holiness, that we would realize that we are made holy in Christ. And that's already a reality because of what he's done for us. God, I pray that if there are people here this morning who are fighting guilt and shame. Maybe they've been trying to get their life together before they turn to you. God, I pray this morning that they would realize that their only hope to be made right with you is through Jesus. They would trust in him. They would turn to you and find life and salvation. God, I pray that if there are believers who have been beating themselves up, feeling like there was no hope to make any progress in the Christian life, God, they would know that you're at work in their lives. That you make us holy in life in Christ and that you call us to be holy. And God, I pray that you would use this meal this morning, you would use this Lord's Supper, this communion, to remind us of that and to encourage and empower and nourish us as we move forward. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.